0: Good morning. Our second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, good morning. It's uh, really good to be with you at uh, JPC today. I'm really sorry that I can't be with you in person for obvious reasons. I was hugely looking forward uh, to meeting uh, all of you, but at least I can be with you uh, in virtual form this morning. You know, we are living through incredibly difficult, unusual and uh, distressing times you know although historically pandemics come along about once every 50 years or so for many of us this is our first experience of living through anything like this for many of us our work and our studies our social lives and our families have been quite literally turned upside down maybe some of you listening or watching to this this morning maybe some of you have experienced health issues or maybe even bereavement, if you've had a friend or family member struck down uh, by the virus, and the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it raises all kinds of questions, not least spiritual ones, which we'll come to shortly. For example, the pandemic raises questions about the the limits of science. You know, for some time now, our society has encouraged us to assume that science is the answer to quite literally every question. Early in the pandemics, uh, politicians told us they were, quote, following the science. But then it turned out that different scientists had uh, very different views of things. They disagreed with one another. And in fact, there was no such thing as the science, capital T, capital S. And then it turned out that the biggest decisions we had to make as a society were not uh, were not scientific, but political and moral and ethical and economic and so on. You know, another question. That COVID-19 has raised is why human beings are both so good and also so bad for example there have been tremendous heroes during the pandemic from our NHS staff and our key workers to people like uh, Captain Tom Moore that 100 year old veteran who raised millions of pounds for the NHS doing sponsored walks around his garden or there's the Italian Catholic priest Father Giuseppe who who after catching coronavirus sacrificed his own life by giving up his ventilator for another patient. But then as well as the heroes, there have been the villains. People have hoarded toilet rolls. They've panic bought food uh, with no thought of others. Uh, They've made car trips to Durham and so on. You know, I'm struck by the very honest remark that the novelist and screenwriter Nick Hornby once made. He once wrote, he said, I'm a I'm a good person in most ways, but I'm beginning to think that being a good person in most ways doesn't count for anything very much if you're a bad person in one way. Well, then there's the question of why we struggle so much with suffering when suffering, strikes, as it has done in the pandemic. We immediately start asking the why questions. Why did I lose my my job? Uh, why did my loved one die? You know, when life goes wrong, we don't instinctively reach for secular answers. You know, there is no why, there's just atoms in motion. But we instinctively ask that why question. Yet if atheism is true, there is no why. There is no way the universe is supposed to be. And then related to all this, there's the question of how we avoid despair and find purpose, hope and meaning for living for. The atheist journalist Douglas Murray wrote these words. He said, where do we find purpose? Where do we find purpose? He says there are many oddities about the world that was ours, but one of the oddest was that it chose to leave this question essentially unaddressed. You know, One of my colleagues was recently chatting with a friend of hers, and when she asked how her friend was doing, was quite taken aback by the raw honesty of the answer. Now, her friend is middle class has an excellent job, and is well respected in her community. So my colleague had expected her friend to say that she was doing fine, that she was enjoying furlough, she was enjoying the extra time to read and walk, catch up on hobbies, and enjoy time with her family. But what her friend actually said was that she couldn't bring herself to talk right now because she was feeling totally overwhelmed, utterly despairing, and could barely bring herself to get out of bed. Life, she said, was too overwhelming. You know, I don't think my friend's colleague is alone. I hear similar stories as I talk to people, as I read the news, you know, a growing sense of despair in much of our society, stemming, I suspect, from the fact that the usual distractions have been stripped away. For all the talk of the new normal, this isn't normal. And after six months, it isn't new either. People are hurting. Well, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the most famous atheists of the last two centuries and possessor of the most impressive moustache in recent history, once said something very interesting. Nietzsche wrote, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Now, what the famous atheist is saying there is that when chaos and difficult circumstances come at us, those who have found life's meaning have found something that truly answers their why questions, well, those people will be far more able to cope with the storms of life. But our secular society, I think, has struggled to answer Nietzsche's challenge. Secularism has done its best to offer people false hopes, things like work and money, sport, health, happiness, sex, politics. But all of those ultimately fail as the ultimate answer to the why question. You know, they fail for a reason that the novelist David Foster Wallace identified. David was not a Christian of any kind, but he was a brilliant writer, a very astute observer of humanity. And on on one occasion, uh, in a very famous essay he wrote, this is what he said. David wrote, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason For choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the it's the truth. If you worship your own body and beauty and spiritual sexual lure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. If you worship power, then you will feel weak and afraid. You'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and uh, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Do you know, every time I read that quote, it strikes me that the pandemic has kind of exposed the secular gods and false idols and false hopes, the things that we are tempted to worship, it's exposed them as totally hopeless. Now all the things that people usually run to for comfort, the excitement of student life, retail therapy, parties, a, a holiday in France, freedom and friendships, work and career, all of those things have been, if not toppled entirely, They have certainly been weakened considerably it's almost as if society has been running up the stairs of progress only to find as we raise our foot to the top step the next step suddenly isn't there anymore and we've tripped and we've fallen the secular world has no answer to that question that nietzsche asked about our need for a why especially in difficult times and the false gods that david foster wallace described have shut up shop Barricaded the doors, erected closed signs, and abandoned their worshippers at their greatest time of need. As my colleague Christy Mayer put it, she wrote, secular gods make poor lovers because they need us, they leave us just when we need them the most. They offer no hope at all. Do so, you know, a generation or so ago, when uh, a national disaster or tragedy struck a country, people would have flocked into the churches. And I remember this happening to an extent when Princess Diana died. I remember it happening when 9-11 happened. People instinctively reached for God in times of crisis. Yet, yeah, although our political leaders haven't uh, recalled for a national day of prayer for the current pandemic, I do find it fascinating that people again instinctively reach for spiritual answers when the old certainties are shaken. Many newspapers and media outlets reported in the early days of the pandemic how the numbers of people in the UK taking part in religious services uh, had jumped. The Guardian reported that one in three people aged 18 to 34 had started watching, whilst the New Statesman, a left leaning political magazine, literally ran an article with the headline, How Coronavirus is Leading to a Religious Revival. Around the same time, the comedian Russell Brand posted a video uh, where he asked why so many people were googling how to pray. Hundreds of thousands of people had watched that video within 48 hours of its release on YouTube and Facebook. He then did a debate with fellow comedian Ricky Gervais on the, on the topic of atheism and belief in God, and the trailer alone for that drew 2 million views. At the same time, sales of the Bible rocketed 50% in the first few months of lockdown, while millions of people downloaded Bible apps. Why? What was going on? Well, I think people were instinctively, desperately looking for an answer to Nietzsche's question, looking for a, a why to live for that is robust enough for the tough times we are living through. Where is God? in the coronavirus crisis? Well, the Christian answer to that is unique because the God of the Bible has not abandoned us like those false secular gods, but he has come and made his home with us, stepping into the world in the person of Jesus and getting his hands and feet dirty with the mess of the world. In a famous passage in the Bible, Peter one of Jesus's closest followers writes to a group of Christians who were experiencing far worse than the pandemic. They were suffering because of persecution as the Roman Empire was busy trying to eradicate the early church with a brutal wave of arrests, horrific torture and executions. So to a people in the very middle of the white heat of suffering, Peter, a man who himself would later be killed for his faith in Jesus Christ, Well, in the face of suffering, of pain and pandemics, I think Christianity has something unique to say about where God is in all of this and about where real hope and real meaning is to be found. I want to suggest to you that the Christian offer of hope is unique in five ways. Time is short, so we'll just touch on them briefly. But here they are. Firstly, Christianity offers real living hope because of Jesus's resurrection. Christians don't have a hope because of a vague, ephemeral sense that life might get better or wish fulfillment or any of those things. But rather, Christians have a real living hope because of the real, concrete, historical reality of the resurrection. We can know with confidence that death is not a broken world's last sneering laugh, but that the power of death has been broken because of what Jesus did. Second, The Bible is brutally honest that the world is broken, that both creation and human beings are not functioning as we should. Christians are not naive. We have always lived in a world where there are wars and violence, pain and pestilence and pandemics. Even today, the Christian church is growing the fastest in the world's most difficult places. But Christians do believe that God has a dramatic rescue plan put into effect through Jesus' death and resurrection to redeem and renew our world and to heal and forgive us. Thirdly, we have a real living hope because Jesus does not desert us and sit on the sidelines. Unlike those secular gods who run when life gets tough, when we lose our job, when our health suffers, when we suffer bereavement or loss, the God of the Bible does not run away. Rather, the Bible says that God loves us so much that not merely did he give up his very own life to put his rescue plan into effect, but that he is with us in the very middle of suffering, carrying us through. To paraphrase that famous football anthem, and apologies to all you non-Liverpool fans, you'll never walk alone, because Jesus can carry us through life's darkest times. And then finally, Christianity offers a real living hope, a why big enough to answer Nietzsche's question, because it has been battle-tested through 2,000 years of Christian history. Peter wrote his letter to Christians who were dying daily for their faith in Jesus. And then from then, down through the centuries, right to this present day, Christians have testified again and again, that Jesus Christ is the surest rock in the wildest storm. And I say this not just theoretically, I can testify this to this personally. You know, a few years ago, when my wife and I lived through some of the darkest times in, in our life, when we lost a series of uh, pregnancies through miscarriages, we, my wife suffered miscarriage after miscarriage, and as a family, we grieved uh, the children that never were. What kept us going was the comfort and hope that Jesus brought us even in those darkest of days. It was the one thing we hung on to uh, in the darkness of those storms. You know, I've long appreciated the Bible's honesty about pain and suffering. Unlike atheism, which would say there's nothing wrong with suffering. It's just the way the world is. Or unlike some other religions, uh, which would say, well, suffering is an illusion or suffering as a result of your bad karma. The reason you're suffering now is because in a previous life you did something terrible. Unlike those non-answers and attempts to ignore the problem of suffering, the Bible is very honest. It doesn't duck the issue. It tells us the Bible is broken, as are we human beings, uh, because of what's gone wrong at the very beginning of creation. But suffering and evil will not have the last word because God has put a rescue plan into effect. Unlike those secular gods that have deserted us, the God of the Bible has done something about suffering and evil, acting dramatically in and through Jesus to begin his plan to heal the world. But more importantly, as importantly, to heal us, too. Where is God in the coronavirus crisis? Well, God hasn't actually moved It's we who, at times have turned our backs and stepped away from him. And sometimes, you know, it takes something dramatic like a pandemic, like suffering to wake us up to the reality that without God, there is no hope, there is no meaning, there is no peace, there is no why to help us deal with the toughest of howls. But with God, there is. All of those things in and through Jesus, we can have hope, we can have meaning, we can have peace. And so to those of you this morning who are hurting or struggling or despairing or searching, Jesus Christ said these words, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you peace. Amen.